Time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon. It's Tuesday. It's 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and we are live here for the Talent Talk Radio Show. I'm really excited to have two great guests uh, lined up today, and we're going to get to them in just a minute. Uh, welcome. If it's been a little while, welcome back. And of course, to those of you that tune in on a regular basis, I really appreciate uh, you being a part of the conversation and uh, an avid fan. So the way the show really uh, came about was uh, my kind of unquenchable need to want to grab really smart people at conferences and and people who are mentors and, and sort of in my places where I'm at, or my own sphere of influence, and asking them, you know, the tough questions, asking them what they're thinking about, asking them about what they are thinking about and finding important right now, especially around this concept of talent. So um, instead of me being the only one to hear all their cool answers, I decided to, let's have a show. And that's really where um, we we have these conversations and allow everyone who wants to tune in to hear uh, all the amazing things that they might be thinking about and, and wanting to talk about. Um, there's been so many wonderful stories, um, uh, you know, through the uh, through the last five years we've been doing the show that I uh, put some of them, uh, some of the best ones, in a book called The Power of Company Culture. And um, if you want to check that out on Amazon or wherever you find your books, love to have you do that. Um, certainly would be, uh, uh, great to hear, hear what you have to think about it. So, um, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, as I mentioned, but most of you get us through the podcast, which is cool. You can find us on iTunes, subscribe there, maybe on Podbean, you subscribe there. A lot of you listen on iHeartRadio, subscribe there. Um, you can even go to talenttalkradio.com. It's super easy. Subscribing makes sure that you get pinged whenever we have a new show, which is generally about once a week. And you know who's on and might be someone you're interested in learning more about. So um, please go ahead and make sure you do that. And then the last place that we have a lot of fun interactions is on Twitter. Um, we want to make sure that we are uh, filling Twitter with something other than politics, I guess. And um, we use at PeopleG2, and you can follow the hashtag Talent Talk. My, my producer, Mike, does a great job of live tweeting the show and putting out some of the best bits, best little comments and things that we talked about. And you can go in there and retweet and like, comment, share, argue, disagree, whatever you like. Um, we we, we kind of use that as our little place to have a conversation about the things on the show. So hope to see you there. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about my guests. Uh, my first guest on the show today will be Melissa Smith, a good friend of mine. She's the owner of the PVA, which I believe stands for the Personal Virtual Assistant, but she can correct me in a second if I'm wrong. Um, she owns a virtual assistant consulting firm. And then uh, Tom uh, Jans, he's the founder and CEO of the Talent Analytics Group. He did some pretty, he does some pretty cool stuff, and we're going to talk to him about that. 
in the second half of the show um, after the little commercial break. But let's go ahead and bring in my first guest. Uh, Melissa, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about our conversation today, and then, you know, of course, explain a little bit about what the PVA is and what you're trying to do and, you know, why people might be interested in knowing more about it. Yeah, well, I am an unlikely location-independent business owner, and my company, the PVA, is a boutique virtual assistant matchmaking firm. Um, I match clients to virtual assistants based on communication strategy and ideal client fit. And uh, I, I love matching both clients and virtual assistants because it creates this win-win situation that I'm always looking for. And um, that's, that's what I'm working on right now, as always. Well, fantastic. And so maybe you could talk about, you know, kind of a good place to start is, you know, where this sort of ignited? Where, where did this passion for you start? Um, in having a virtual business, you said you're kind of said an unlikely person to be to be doing such a thing, and to really be you know so um, kind of uh, specific right into this world in, into helping virtual assistants and, and and from a recruiting standpoint or a matchmaking standpoint, where did all that kind of begin? Well, it's unlikely that I'm location independent because uh, I do a lot of flying now, but I was afraid of flying for basically my whole life. Um, I've only been over my fear of flying for about four years now, um, and I've only had my passport for about three of those, um, and so uh, I'm making up for lost time now. Uh, so that's why it's unlikely that I'm location independent, um, but it really started, and, and my passion always comes from my family. So my background is in executive assisting, and I went to secretary school growing up. It's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I always knew that's what I wanted to do, and I did it. Um, but then in 2012, my husband died, and that, as you can imagine, changed my my entire world. And eventually, the same life that I was leading, meaning going into an office every day, um, and, and working at a job, even though I loved it, did not suit my needs anymore. Um, it wasn't the best for my family, and that's how I became um, a remote worker. I became a remote worker for the company that I was at. I was there first. And then from there, it really just thought, like, wow, what if I could do this for myself, which is something I also said I would never do, <laughs> start my <laughs> own business. And um, But I just... I got a taste of that freedom and flexibility from remote working, and I thought, I think there's more. Um, and so I just, I latched on to that. And the matching came in because I, I just always love to pair things together, whether that be food and wine or people or connections or, or networking. But when I entered the field of virtual assistants, it just seemed like here are two pieces of the puzzle that are desperately trying to meet and can't. So the number one question a lot of VAs have, no matter what stage they are in their career, are where do I find my clients? And yet every time I would meet people at networking events, they were always saying, where can I find a good virtual assistant? And my question is, wow, like, I know tons of people. Um, so that's really what started, you know, my passion for it. And in fact, it was such a passion that I didn't even realize I had a business. 
I was matching people with virtual assistants for a year before I ever charged anyone for it. So this is, uh, you're kind of a really good prime example of why I do this show. Um, you know, you and I met in Guatemala, um, what was that, maybe a year ago or, you know, if it's more or yeah, less. but a year. It'll be a year at the end of May. Yeah. So just about a year ago, we met up in Guatemala. We were at a conference. It was about remote work. And I was there talking about culture. And, you know, here we... We have stayed connected ever since, and I think it's really, I've sort of learned a bunch of things about you in just your beginning, or re-remembered some of the things um, that you had told me. But one of the things I did, maybe I didn't remember was that, you know, you, you've only been sort of really traveling and really doing this sort of, you know, digital nomad don't really have a, you know, home base thing um, for a few years. Um, that basically every time I talk to you, you're in an airport um, now. <laughs> Right. That before you probably wouldn't have been caught dead in an airport. Um, and so what a huge transition, what a huge sort of change in your life. Um, and, and, and I think that might be inspirational for people that maybe what they're doing today is not what they want to do tomorrow. And they don't know where do you start or how do you even change or can I overcome my fears? And you're just this you know, kind of really great example of you can do a 180 and do something else if you want to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, when in 2017 is when I went location independent, and I'd already been working remotely. And I, in 2017, I traveled to 16 countries in 12 months and was completely remote the entire time. And people would ask me, well, how long are you going to do this? And I would say, well, as long as I want. Like, <laughs> I don't, right. I would, like, there's no deadline for me. You know, this is my lifestyle right now. Maybe in next month or next year, I will get tired of traveling and then I won't want to do it or I'll have a different kind of travel or, you know, I'll want to stay long periods of time in some place. But, um, you know, lifestyles change just like everything else and, and careers change. And um, I like to embrace it versus fight it um, because I believe it gives you more opportunity. Right, right. Well, you know, it's, you're sort of in a really interesting situation that you're able to create your own uh, environment, but you're also in this, you know, business of helping connect people into the right environments. And that's sort of an area that I like to talk about a lot and fascinated about, and, you know, the world of business culture and finding the right fit for employees, find the right fit for employers. You know, as you're doing some of this, as you're connecting people, what, what part of that stage does this idea of culture kind of feed into your equation as to whether or not, you know, this is going to be a two people that might work out well together. It all starts with just being honest on, on both ends. And I think that's one of the ways that I help both clients and VAs really break through what they say they want versus what they really want. Um, and for me, like company culture and business culture, these are things that are widely talked about now. They weren't talked about when I was, growing up, it was just, hey, you know, do you like your job? What kind of company do you work for? Uh, and if someone said, oh, I hate my job, then they probably didn't like that company culture. And so, for instance, my dad worked for the post office, and he worked for the post office for years. And, um, you know, he was single dad raising three kids. And he, you know, just didn't feel like he had an opportunity to to work someplace else and, and get benefits. And, you know, he commuted two hours each way to work. And, 
you know, he, he hated that job. And as soon as my brother left to college, my dad quit. <laughs> um, you know, he, that was a perfect example of someone who didn't enjoy that culture. But you can't say that everyone dislikes it because I've heard tons of stories of people who love their time at the post office and maybe they had a different place in the, in the company and they enjoyed delivering letters and seeing the same people every day and being that person who had the package for someone and would deliver great news. Um, and then my mom, on the other hand, she was an admin and I always loved going to her office and I always loved how people would tell me, oh, I love your mom and your mom's so great and we couldn't run the office without her. And it was just a different kind of, of culture. And that's how I always viewed it. And so I always thought you have a choice of where to work. You have a choice of what you're going to do with your life. Um, you know, my dad didn't feel like he had a choice, but as soon as my, my brother was gone, he made a choice. Mm-hmm. And when I match people and they'd say, you know, I'm, I'm a hard person to work for. And I say, great. Why, why do you think that? And they say, oh, you know, I like things just this way, or I'm very particular about this. But then as you see their reasoning and as you, as you ask good questions to find out why, and they just want to provide the best service. Um, they want to leave nothing to chance for those customers or clients they're serving. And then you have to tell them, like, look, you're, you're not being difficult. You just have a standard. And all we have to do is find the person that has your standard. So for me, I actually work well with people who are, you know, quote, unquote, difficult. But those who are easygoing and maybe fall under the umbrella of creative, I'm great at matching them, but I could never be their assistant because I require so much more structure and mm-hmm. it just is not a good match. It doesn't mean that they're not great, they're not nice, that they don't you know, have uh, a good company culture. It's just not my company culture. I require structure and they require freedom. And so I'm always just looking for that. And then the person who is looking for that as well and who created their business to serve someone in that field. Well, and you're really calling out a, a very specific part of that talent management piece, which is, you know, can can these two people or can this person with this group of people, you know, be compatible? And, and, and I love that you're sort of asking questions and getting to what is the root reason of why you know, someone might be difficult to work with or why my, why would somebody maybe be more easygoing and sort of let people, you know, I, I, I'm probably a bit more that way where I'm like, here are the five things I need done. Let me know if you need help. Right. And give people the autonomy to go do it. But then again, there's not a lot of structure there. Um, you know, and I can sit and talk creatively, but you know, so there's a different type of person for me than there is for someone who's, you know, very, very specific about what they want and how they want it and where they want it and when they want it and all of that. Um, and that's really just a function of talent management, of knowing your people and knowing you know who to bring in, who not to bring in um, into a particular group. But I feel like I feel like that's something that organizations don't have a good grasp of, that managers don't have really any training in. It's almost like this, you know, huge area where we could have gigantic improvement in our organizations, but it's sort of left. I don't like who's supposed to teach us this stuff. Like where are we supposed to get it? You know. I, I always am a fan of, of bringing in outsiders. Outsiders don't naturally go into a, a place in your company. You know, they don't have a path that they follow. So I always have an outsider in my business. I always have a, 
a consultant or a coach working with me because the things that I do routinely, they'll stop me and say, why do you do that? Why is that? Why do you think that? And it forces me to say things like, well, that's the way I've always done it. (laughs) Or this is the way I started. And they're like, well, you can't do that anymore because you don't have a company like you had when you first started. Or things have changed. You no longer need this because now you have this. And so when you bring in this outsider um, for your company, no matter if it's a consultant or a coach or just like a friend to come in and and kind of see what you're doing um, every day, and you think, wow, do do you know this is happening over here? And someone will say, no, I didn't know that. And immediately when I say that to people, they immediately go to bad. They think, oh, what's going wrong? What's going wrong? And oftentimes, it is something that's really great as well. When I do reference checks on, on the VAs um, or other people for that matter, one of the things I ask is, what do you know now about this person that you wish you knew before you hired them? And sometimes I get these really great responses, and one of them is commonly, I wish I knew all this person was capable of when I first hired them. I had no idea all the strengths that they have because people just aren't naturally braggers <laughs> they're excuse me they're they're often very humble and yeah. and, it takes and often the ones you are the braggers you think are going to be great and turn out to be terrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so you know we we define these things as 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 culture and the way we we do things and um it often comes down to our our core beliefs um, because people can say, oh, this is our culture, this is the way we do things. And, um, you know, when your actions don't match your words, it becomes this, this friction. And so what I'm looking for is people whose actions match their words. And then I'm also looking for that character who has the, that person whose character has the same values. Because at the end of the day, you know, when you first start out and you're on this honeymoon phase, you're going to have a bad day. Like, things are going to go wrong. You're, you're going to have a discussion. You're going to disagree on a collaboration. Something is going to go um, not, you know, like, you're not going to be on the honeymoon anymore. And at that point, you need to know that this person who has the same belief as you, who has the same belief as you, has the same core value, who wants the same thing as you, is seeing something very, very different. And you're both trying to get to the same place, but you're just not agreeing how you're going to get there. And then that's when you can pull back and say, you know what, I trust you, you trust me. Let's step away from this conversation a little bit. Let's get a, let's have a talk on perspective here and have a completely different conversation around perspective that really opens back up to our culture, which then we can say, okay, these possibly could both work, but this fits the culture better. This fits the company better. This fits the long-term better. And in that case, no one's serving their own need. They're serving the company's needs, why you're both brought here together. And maybe the other thing is shelved, or maybe it can go somewhere else, or maybe it's just scrapped altogether. So you kind of began to explain, you know, your journey. And I think you did a nice kind of unintentional segue for me into this next question, which was, you know, it sounds like you had a coach, you had mentors, you had people and still do have people around you to kind of help you you know, on your journey as, as a leader, as someone running their own business. And I just wondered, you know, how hard has it been for you or what sort of challenges might you, 
you know, share with as you went from being someone who was essentially your you sort of said your dream job was to execute on and support someone else right in their vision as your original career choice. And now you suddenly are in your own business and you are the one executing that right and you as your vision and that kind of switch. And I think that that small switch, although it's not small, but small in words is um, what people are most afraid of when they're thinking about changing careers. So, you know, how hard was it and what are some of the challenges that maybe you faced, um, whether they were big challenges or maybe things that you thought weren't that were, were a big deal and they turned out not to be a big deal? Yeah, I think I saw everything as a big deal when I first started. I, I was always very much behind the scenes kind of person. Uh, my role was behind the scenes. I'm very comfortable behind the scenes. And as I continued to grow my business, I had to move out from behind the scenes. And sometimes I was pushed and um, sometimes I fell on my face. And, you know, I think that it, it comes from somewhat of a fear of rejection um, and somewhat of a fear that someone is going to disagree with you. And then it seems like the whole world is going to disagree with you. Um, it was not an easy transition for me. Uh, one, cause I was behind the scenes. Um, and two, because I, I didn't understand when I was becoming a thought leader and saying things that other people were paying attention to, because to me, they were common. I thought everybody knew them. And when someone said, no, not everybody knows that, like you should write a book on it, <laughs> I thought, well, who's going to read it? Uh, you know, so you just go down these, these paths. But I think one of the biggest things that uh, held me back is I was so, so just terrified, if you will, because everyone that I seemed to be competing against or going up against or uh, trying to get in front of my competition all had a degree. They were uh, PhDs or MBAs or at least had a bachelor's. They were certified coaches. And here I am, and I went to secretary school, so I had a secretary degree. Um, and it really, I, I value education so much, but I was a horrible student. I excelled in secretary school. I excelled nowhere else. And so it was this real, like, core fear that went back to my childhood. And then much like, you know, you have to do as any entrepreneur, I just decided like I was going to create my own initials. So, you know, everyone seemed to have these initials after their name. And so I thought, fine, I'll create my own. And so that's how the PVA really began because those were my initials that I put after my name. And it, that's kind of where I've gone ever since. <laughs> um, and every time I, you know, would get into this thought, oh, I don't have that degree or I don't have that credential. And I would look at that PBA and I thought, well, I do. Everything that I did and everything I went to school for and all the training that I do and all the education and all the professional development that I do to keep up as an assistant and what's going on in the virtual, virtual assistant world is tied to that title and something that no one else um, or not many others are, are doing. So yeah, that, those are my initials. That, those are my certifications. So I know you've got a uh, a group that you're putting together that's about to close out for anyone who's interested, and you've got a summit you're working on. So we're almost out of time here, but quickly tell how can people find out more about that if they're our virtual assistant, they know someone who is, they want to be a part of your group and 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 get the access to all of your wisdom and and everything that you're doing. What's the best way for them to do that? 
Yes, the best way is associationofvas.com. You can join now as a founding, founding member. It closes April 30th. Uh, we have a private Slack community. I'm in there all the time. And for the Virtual Business Summit, it's thevirtualbusinesssummit.com. Well, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in you know, maybe some matchmaking? Maybe they're a VA. Maybe they are a leader in an organization who needs one. Um, or, you know, maybe, the, maybe for whatever reason, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Melissa at the PVA.com. I check all my emails, respond every day. And I can attest to that. She does respond very quickly. So Melissa, thank you so <laughs> much for being on the show today. We've really learned a lot. Um, and I hope that our listeners that were able to take something back they can use in their, uh, in their businesses. And hopefully there's someone out there who maybe needs your services and we can get you guys connected. I appreciate it. All right. We'll look forward to have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing. Otherwise, we're going to go ahead and take our first commercial break, and we'll bring in my second guest, Tom Jans. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. If you missed my first guest, Melissa Smith, don't worry. You can catch her interview here in about a week or so when we post it on iTunes and iHeartRadio and everywhere that you might find uh, podcasts. So make sure you check us out. Go subscribe right now, and then you can make sure you get alerted when that comes out. Um, my next guest is uh, Tom Jans. Uh, he's a founder and CEO of the Talent Analytics Group, which we may sort of shorten to tag or tag here for our conversations today um and uh don't forget you can uh go to talenttalkradio.com learn more there or you can also be a part of the conversation right now by going to at people g2 and on twitter and uh be a part of the conversation tell us your comments retweet uh let us know what you're thinking um all right but uh tom let's go ahead and get you on the show welcome thank you glad to be here well, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, you know, what's important for us to know here for today, and of course, give us a deeper understanding of what you're doing over there at the Talent Analytics Group. Okay, well, uh, quick background, uh, I'm an I.O. psychologist, which means industrial organizational psychologist, raised in Winnipeg, Canada, and uh, graduated from the University of Minnesota with a Ph.D. in, in I.O. psychology. I began my, my first 16 years of my career was as a professor at the, the faculties of engineering um, and management in Waterloo, Simon Fraser University and University of Calgary. And then I returned to Dallas to work with the consulting firm, Personnel Decisions International, that was founded by my advisor uh, at Minnesota. So since then, I've uh, worked in consulting firms and in my own firms and then started TAG, the Talent Analytics Group, 
about a year ago. Um, so what is TAG? Well, it's a collection of unique online talent assessment web services. Okay, so we, we don't kind of do just what everybody else does. We try to offer a unique angle uh, to provide a powerful solution that is, it increases the speed to value. Uh, because we see right now everything is changing, change is so accelerating, so that slow is almost as bad as wrong. Uh, and if you get it right but you take a long time, uh, you know, that, that you could still miss the boat. And so we've, we've really tried to put speed to value as kind of our key, our key driver, but we have to keep in mind accuracy because if, you're, if you hire uh, mediocre people faster, is that a good idea? You know, uh, we don't think so. So we want to be able to do it faster, but we also have to be do it accurately. And that means we've got to take subjectivity and bias out of it. And, and that's the kind of reason that the, the average statistics you find in most of the um, either professional or academic journals, that hiring decisions are wrong about 50% of the time um, within periods as, as short as uh, six weeks and sometimes up to 18 months before you really find that out. Uh, and the longer it takes to find it out, the more expensive it is. So what we've done at the, for hiring um, in the Talent Analytics Group is we've we started with a deep, uh, an organization called DeepSense that uses um, instant analytics based on social media that's already out there, public social media that people have, and it will produce a 14-point predictive profile in under 30 seconds on almost anyone who's in the professional sphere. It doesn't work so well for a high level or for a high volume entry level, but, but we have a solution for that as well. So within that, you know, after you've got that uh, initial read, then you can quickly decide whether uh, somebody in the green zone or scores very high should go straight to screening um, decisions or decision interviews. Someone in the yellow zone should be invited to take more fine-grained, time-consuming, uh, and validated psychometric assessments to kind of reduce both kinds of hiring error. Because there's a one hiring error is to proceed ahead when you shouldn't. The other hiring error is to reject somebody that you should have kept because they really are uh, a potential star. Um, so you can reduce both of those by having an objective assessment. Uh, you know, assist with the decision-making that the hiring managers are going to make. Candidates in the red zone get a coaching report that kind of helps them understand what their strengths and limitations are, where, where they might be more profitably pointed uh, on the idea that we want to hire the best and help the rest. Um, so that's, that's kind of what, you know, TAG is about. The, the most unique part of it is being able to make those quick triaging decisions based on uh, deep learning analytics of social media text that's already published. And, and so, you know, there is a difference between what people put out there, right, <clears throat> for their social media, for their public persona, and to what they maybe actually really are. So where does that sort of break down? I mean, are we, is that tool you're sort of describing, your deep sense tool, uh, just a prerequisite to try to find people who maybe fit a couple of the things you're looking for, and then you sort of expect people to go back and go deeper with them, either one-on-one -on -one or with other tools you have, or how does that work? Right, right, that's exactly right. So, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that someone hasn't hired someone to make their LinkedIn profile, you know, um, and, and that does happen to some extent these days. 
Um, primarily, DeepSense looks at LinkedIn and Twitter, um, but it looks at all of the text and your micro behaviors on the site. So could you tune up your site to get a higher score? You know, it's possible if you really studied uh, it a lot, if you read everything, you know, as, it, as the articles start coming out about what we're doing and how we're measuring, you know, you could spend a lot of time to do that. Will people do that? You know, a very small percentage of people will, but most people won't because it's really, it's, it's tracking such a large amount of information that has been put up publicly over time. So that, you know, when you compare the accuracy of what we're, when we're in our initial research that I'm involved in right now, we're seeing that, um, that people who would be highly motivated to look better don't. You know, so, uh, so you, you really have to, uh, you know, the, the data is suggesting that you get a pretty good look as a first look. Now, do you need to follow that up? Absolutely. If the person scores really high, then the, the concept is then they go into screening and uh, decision interviews so that there will be the opportunity to sort of substantiate anything that comes out of that green zone score. If they're in the yellow zone, then we give them the opportunity to provide us additional information. We'd like to you know, invite them in or fly them in, but we need to know a little more. And so that's where they can either be invited to take a validated psychometric test that might be anywhere from 45 minutes to some, some of them go uh, over an hour uh, of online testing. Um, or as an option, it, it may be possible uh, as, as one angle that we're considering is to give, have them give us permission to look at their Facebook likes. Because if you get uh, access to 200 Facebook likes, you can predict a person uh, as well as their spouse. And that is based on research that's published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. So that's just not an opinion. That's a, that's a research fact. So, you know, people can have the choice. Would you like to give us access to your Facebook and we can and look at your, just your likes? Or would you like to take our handy-dandy 200-item online assessment? You know, and, and then it's their choice because we really don't care. We're getting the same level of prediction power out of either. Right, right. Well, I know you were really nice to send me a little profile on on me um, of your deep sense uh, thing, and you know, some uh, other people certainly listening don't have the context to see what what's on there. I mean, there's lots of things from learning ability to st- uh, stability potential, attitude and outlook, uh, general behavior, teamwork skills, things like that. But one of the things I noticed is it said role fit. So. When you're doing this, are you um, judging this against a particular standard for, you know, a generic CEO, let's say, um, or is this uh, really more fine-tuned for the company? Does the company come in and say, help you define who they are and who they might be looking for more specifically? <clears throat> well, as we're just getting started, we really have three, um, three sort of dominant um, composites of the 14 points. Uh, the first one that is where we're really beginning with is called talent-centric leadership, and it's, it applies to people who are involved in roles either at the individual contributor level where it's thought leadership or people leadership if they're actually managers. Um, it applies for those people who have to create value based on making things better, faster, with less resources, what we call replication because uh, there's three ways for people to create values in companies uh, in, in, in the way that I'm thinking about it. One is through replication, you know, producing goods or services that are more efficient, more quickly, um, at more value at a less cost. 
but there's also two other ways to create value. One is just through transactions, buying and selling. You know, so that, that is kind of the sales profile, and that's different from the replication profile. And then the third uh, generic type of profile is, tr is the innovation, people who are coming up with new ideas. Um, again, slightly different way of combining those 14 points. So with those three to start off, that's where we're beginning. And then when companies want to fine-tune it based on doing a job analysis, uh, we are happy to look at that and make adjustments to the, the factors that we measure as a function of the results of job analysis, uh, more traditional kind of a performance modeling uh, approach. And is your approach for, uh, currently for your company really um, more specific to talent acquisition, right, to, to bringing the right people into companies? Or does this have other, you know, possible applications from a sales perspective, marketing perspective? I mean, where do you sort of see this in the long term? Well, there are many use cases, and, and you know, I don't, I'm sure I don't know all of them, but there's, they seem to, new ones seem to come up all the time. Uh, certainly hiring is a use case, but even more critical for today's executives is who do they have on the bus today? Because, you know, their success uh, in terms of being able to deliver on the annual report is a function of who they have today a lot more than who they're hiring tomorrow. Um, so if you can analyze, you know, in 30 seconds someone's profile and get a triage kind of a heat map of risk and a heat map of talent, and be able to use that to kind of drive your performance development process, that's, you know, that's going to be more critical to executives today than the hiring side. Now, it's, you know, that is the future. So being able to deliver performance this year, that's going to be functioning on your current team. Being able to deliver performance over the next three to five years, that's a function of your hiring. So both are important, but the same kind of methodology applies in both cases. In one case, you're focusing in on assessing employees and using the triage analysis to determine who needs more in-depth kind of assessment and then more rigorous and uh, supportive follow-through to kind of uh, redirect their, um, their development in ways that are going to be consistent with the, you know, the, the strategy of the company value creation plan. Um, on, the, on, the, on the hiring side, you want to get the right people on the bus in the first place um, but you've already got a bunch of people on the bus. A lot of them were hired using a lot of bias, a lot of uh, personal preferences, a lot of fear-based hiring, and so you're going to have some toxic talent in there. You're going to have some people that are loafers and deadwood. You know, you just can't avoid it. So wouldn't it be nice to find out where are the people who could most profit from uh, reducing their limitations developing themselves towards being of maximum value or maybe relocating within the firm from where they are where they're not really able to be, to be optimal to some place where they are and then they can be happier more productive earn more i mean it's a win-win situation to have people delivering the maximum value that they're capable of delivering you know a lot of what you're talking about kind of i think happens or we stumble during this uh, interview process Right, where we, oh, yeah. we fail to maybe really uncover if this person is the right or the wrong person. We kind of uh, use bias and really kind of, you know, uh, uh, 
variable things that are very subjective, like, you know, does this person like cats? And I like cats. Or they went to the school I went to, or they lived near where my brother grew up, or I mean, whatever these sort of random things are that somehow connect us to, to each other, but aren't really good indicators of whether or not they're going to be good at the job, or just whether or not we like them or might like them in that possible moment. So how do we shift into something more like behavioral interviewing? And that's something there's some research in a book about, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about how do how do companies start thinking about shifting into a better interviewing process? Well, right, and you know, and one of the things in my background is I wrote the book on behavioral interviewing with Lowell Hellervik, um, and I did the first research in the Journal of Applied Psychology to show that it's three to five times as accurate as traditional unstructured interviewing. So, um, you know, again, it just has to be. How do you shift into it is having people understand that the, the goal of an interview is a conversation with a purpose, and the purpose is to make sure that the person who actually has the strengths and capabilities and coping skills to deliver value on the job is the person that you're, you're going to make an offer to. And the, that person is going to be someone who has demonstrated those in the past in as a related a setting as possible. But it doesn't have to be the exact same setting. So you can ask people, tell me about the time when you had the most difficult, uh, you know, time overcoming someone's resistance to a key idea. It may be that it occurred on a job exactly like the one that you're going to put them into, and that's wonderful. But it may have occurred in high school. It may have occurred in a uh, work-study course or in a co-op program. Um, the real issue is, what did the person do? How did they do it? How did they think about it? And what was the result uh, that happened? So the focus is in on the performance results in comparable challenging situations. And, you know, that's what uh, my book on behavioral interviewing was all about. Um, and, and, and that generated into a tool that conducted online interviews, but, you know, uh, which required initially people to type in the answers. Um, that was a, probably a bit ahead of its time, but now, you know, the millennial generation would much rather text than talk, you know, so you could you know, collect that uh, kind of information in a texting environment. Uh, they would probably be even more comfortable than actually seeing in an interview. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how that may be uh, somewhat of a benefit, right? If you could be asking that yeah. stuff that way and, and get the responses and and even not even have to have the pressure of we're having a 30 minute designated interview it could be done over a longer period of time with, you know, kind of a casual Q&A um, as well. Um, right. It certainly and gives you, uh, people a lot more options <laughs> in thinking right. about where they, where, where they might want to take some of this. Exactly. And, and when you combine that then with the power of DeepSense to analyze that text so that you can have an objective an analysis of the text that can, happens in a thousandth of a second instead of a subjective analysis that takes 10, 15 minutes and then a integration meeting for different parties to kind of you know, go over their answers. I mean, for final decision interviews, you're probably still going to have live interviews, but notion of spending a lot of time doing screening interviews is is not for the future. It's from the past. Right. Well, you know, if we can interview people better and we can hire better, then, you know, the next sort of thing is, well, how do we make sure that they're performing, we drive performance, and that we're, you know, um, helping those uh, those people we've brought on board be successful? So, 
I know you've done some work centered around uh, tracking positive versus negative motivational forces. What are some of your findings in this area that people might be interested in? And at least as a you know initial overview, we, to get them to maybe think about if it's something they want to dive deeper into. Right, right. Well, a, a number of years ago, I, I was a, a big fan of the book In Search of Excellence, uh, and I met uh, Tom Peters, and 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 I was. Uh, you know, that I wanted to research it because it was really more of an anecdotal book than it was a research book. So um, I also met with uh, uh, a gentleman who had an article in the Harvard Business Review, uh, Roger, and his article was on corporate culture. And, and the factors that he identified turned out to be the same factors that I uncovered in um, several years of research uh, with students at the University of Calgary who were in um, MBA program, so they were actually working students. I mean, they were, it was a, part, a nighttime MBA program. And, you know, those factors came down to um, having, uh, how do you motivate people to, to do what needs to be done? You, and the options that are, exist in every company to some degree are through shared values, uh, through support for the values, um, through um, bureaucratic rules and regulations, and the fourth option is through coercive power or just my way or the highway kind of approach. And our research showed very clearly that if, if you have um, high coercive power, that is a big negative correlation with uh, gross margin per square foot in a national clothing retail chain. Uh, it also correlated negatively with parents' evaluations of schools. Um, if there was if the school principal was someone who used a lot of coercive power and, and relied on regulations, you know, that school's parents, the parents of the students at that school, were not going to rate it as favorably as those who adopted more of a shared values and support approach. So we developed a tool that was the 28-item instrument uh, that could be administered quickly. It would ask about what do people think is the ideal way to handle these 28 different kinds of uh, interactions between the leader and the team members. And then how does that happen now? So there was all this comparison of ideal and is now. Um, we measured that from different organizations around the world, from uh, cooperatives in China, from uh, organizations in Europe and organizations in both Canada and the United States. And, and we found that, you know, these, when there were large gaps, uh, that that led to a lot of burnout. Uh, according to the Maslach burnout questionnaire, uh, and it led to lower levels of productivity of the people in the team, uh, higher turnover, all those kind of negative things. So we developed a program to help people identify which of the 28 items should they focus on and pick one or two, because if you pick five or six, you're not going to do anything, you know, and track that over time because the instrument was short enough that you could measure it repeatedly and, uh, you know, measure it every, uh, every year or every six months and then see where it was going, and then refocus on other things that became more important as you resolve those elements that uh, were initially targeted. Right. Well, you certainly have had quite a, uh, a good history there of, of doing a lot of important research and helping companies you know, identify different ways in which they can be more effective, um, interview better, ma manage your talent better. You know, in, in it's 2019 here at the time of this interview. Um, what is it that companies should be thinking about going forward? You know, what are they still not getting, or where are they, where could they be kind of focusing some attention to get the biggest bang for their buck 
uh, here this year and into next year? Well, I, I, you know, I mean, I, to me, uh, and, I, and I, I kind of agree that with um, uh, uh, John Hagel, who's the uh, director of the Center for Edge Perspectives at Deloitte, and the talent is the only sustainable asset that a company has. I mean, uh, these days, you, the old business model, which was you come up with a great new idea, um, you put a patent around it, uh, or you keep it as a trade secret, and then you discover how to deliver it at scale, um, and then you go out and make, make a bunch of money for several years. Well, that model isn't working anymore. And, and I think we all know why it's called the Internet. You know, those sort of clever new things that, that uh, are, provide a competitive advantage get leaked out over the Internet. Everybody's, you know, is telling everybody else what they're doing on Slack and, and, uh, and Facebook Messenger and all these things. And therefore, that model of kind of owning uh, something that's newer, better for some period of years so that you can afford the time to protect it legally and then uh, scale it so that you can make money with it, uh, you know, that's going away. And, and according to his research, over the last 60 years of all publicly traded companies, the return, <clears throat> the return on assets is heading pretty quickly towards zero, which means you, you really have to be able to reinvent yourself continuously. The only competitive asset is talent. You know, having money, there's all kinds of money washing around looking for things. Having new IP, well, there's lots of IP that, that could develop and, and create competitive advantage. But if you don't have the right people on the bus, in the right seat, continually reinventing and reacting to the changing environment, you won't be successful. And so focusing in on your current team, doing, you know, assessing the heat map of talent strengths and risks, taking the appropriate action quickly and but with precision and with confidence by, by doing it scientifically and not just off the hip, um, that's probably the best thing you can do to guarantee or to move towards a sustainable, profitable organization in the future. Well, and that's certainly some fantastic advice, and I hope that our listeners have uh, been able to take a few notes here today and uh, are ready to, to implement some of the things you're talking about. Um, and certainly I hope they check out your book and some of the books that you've mentioned. We always like to talk about books here as well. But final question, as we're almost out of time, is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about, uh, about TAG? Uh, well, the the quickest way is to go. Uh, we've decided, being a you know new age organization, to focus on having a Facebook business page as opposed to a kind of a regular WordPress business page, which we will have ultimately. But at this time, we're focusing on that. And so, if you just go to Facebook and search for T A Group, you know the letters T A and then the word Group. Um, you'll find our Facebook page. Even if you just put in Talent Analytics Group, you'll also find it. And that's where we have videos and, and research articles and blog posts that even normal people can read. You know, the research articles can be a little dry. Uh, and and uh, announcements and all the kind of stuff that's happening. So that's, that's probably the best place to, to find us, and our contact information is there and everything. Well, fantastic. Thank you again so much, Tom, for being on the show today. Really enjoyed having you here. And uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update and keep the conversation going. That would be great. Thank you so much.
All right, join me next week as I'll bring in two more great guests at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 